G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Due to the adult themes in today's broadcast, we recommend that this program is not suitable for younger listeners. As much as I loved Dave, I was no longer going to tolerate any of this Jekyll and Hyde behaviour. Whether he had a mental health diagnosis or not, it was abusive and I didn't deserve any of it. Unfortunately, affairs happen in good marriages, bad marriages and Christian marriages. Today's guests are Noni and David Yates. They have experienced incredible pain, gone through personal healing and repaired their marriage to now facilitate support groups for men and women impacted by infidelity betrayal. Their goal is to help others claim victory over shame and discover their God-given purpose. That's Noni and David Yates, our guest today, with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family, Australia. A special thanks to our friends at Juice in the Gold Coast for recording our guest side of the conversation. Well, welcome to the program. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, Noni. I grew up travelling a lot. Dad was in the Navy, so I, I was a Navy brat, went to 11 different schools and kind of got used to holding on to things quite loosely. Uh, Mum was... Catholic and so did a lot of Catholic schooling and I grew up until I was about 13 going to mass on Sundays and uh, then I was quite rebellious so I had I would say the next seven eight nine years out in the wilderness and got to the point where my life was a little out of control and I really surrendered my life to Christ. I was a single mum two-year-old boy at the time when I actually met Dave. So David, tell us a little bit about your background. I was the first son, middle child of five of a a family brought up in Sydney. My father and mother were both really loving and supportive. By all stands, we had a pretty terrific normal family life. Lots of affirmation, lots of encouragement. We were brought up in a Catholic church. I was an altar boy probably for too long until my mid-teens sort of thing, until it was a bit (laughs) awkward. Then in my late teens, early adulthood, I sort of stopped my involvement in churches and the like. Still had my foundational beliefs and values, but uh, just continued on a fairly nondescript sort of life as a young man. I was in a a relationship for about two years when I first met Noni. We were living together, but that was ended into with not the best emotional maturity and it failed. And then you met together, and then what was the spark that attracted you to one another? I'd met Noni, and she used to cut my hair. And, uh, yeah, I thought she was a handsome woman, actually. Fairly interesting, but I never gave much thought outside my infrequent haircuts until we met by chance some months after I'd split with my girlfriend and just sparked a conversation, and just uh, that was it. I, I just found her just engaging the way she looked at people, the way she heard me, there's just a lovely softness about her. I just wanted to get to know her better. There was a strong attraction there, but it was a really an emotional attraction and we became great friends. Do you agree with all that, Noni? Absolutely. 
No, I met Dave. I'd been doing his hair for quite some time before I ever... You were a hairdresser, just to fill in the gaps. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Sorry, he's got no hair now, but that's not my fault. We had great conversations professionally as a client, and that's as much as it was. And then I ran into him one night. I had recently separated, very recently. Never seen him out socially. And because we'd already had a professional relationship, it was very easy to continue conversation. And I remember just thinking, wow, this conversation, it's kind of what I've been missing in a, an intimate relationship, I suppose. But we just became really, really good friends. You mentioned just a bit earlier that you were in the wilderness and then you discovered a relationship with God. Tell us about that. So I'd been in a nine-year relationship previously and I was very self-sufficient. And even though from a worldly perspective, I had a great business, I had a beautiful child, great partner. Materially, everything looked fantastic. I was very successful as the world would look at it. Inside, I was empty. And when I finally... Mm -hmm really acknowledged that myself and I just really cried out to God, met him in such an intimate way, like very, very strong. That actually gave me the strength to kind of go it alone and I became very honest with myself and um, acknowledged that I was living a lie by being in a relationship that was not where I should have been. So I separated and just really intentionally focused on building my relationship with God in a really deep, deep way. That didn't involve going to church. That was actually really me saying, God, if you're real, I need to know who you are. And that aha moment for God to enter into your world, for you, David, was that part of your journey or you're observing from this because you started a relationship with someone who was discovering God in a real tangible way and it wasn't just a a head thing, it was a heart thing. What was going on from your point of view starting out in this relationship? I was kind of an interested spectator in that, on the sidelines a little bit, with sometimes one foot in that game, in that I'd met lots of Christians in my life and thought, wow, there's something different about them. I probably need to look at that really sometime. And I was Mm -hmm. was just kind of putting that off or just it was probably going to be a bit inconvenient for me to go down that road. So I was really fascinated by Noni's conviction and commitment, at the same time, parts of it challenged me and Mm -hmm. and threatened our relationship or the status quo of where we were. But you overcame that and you proposed to Noni and everything was all wonderful. You became an instant stepfather, which was a steep learning curve in that, becoming a, a husband, but it wasn't rosy. No, it wasn't. And I entered in like I'd entered into probably every other relationship, expecting that relationship to fulfill me, complete me, make me whole, make me happy. And it didn't because you started then only shortly after the honeymoon period had started wavering, you started looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, I entered into the marriage under a lie. I withheld from knowing that I'd actually been in a relationship with a co-worker before we were married even while we were courting, and I'd kept that hidden successfully, yep. and I made a choice, okay, I want to be with Noni the rest of my life, but however, I restarted that relationship shortly afterwards. How did you hear and receive this, Noni? Oh, well, I think we'd been married for about six months, and so we were very much in the honeymoon phase. Everything was wonderful. 
all of our married life, there's been a lot of travel just involved with his line of work. And mm -hmm. um, he came home from a trip one night and I discovered, because of a hideous mark on his neck, that he'd been with a co-worker. I'd already had suspicions, but, um, you know, I, I think not long after we're married, one morning I just broke down and, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I really got a problem. I, I just don't trust you. Um, and I said, do I have any reason not to trust you? And he looked at me square in the face and he just said no and comforted me. And then it was only a few weeks later that I discovered this. So I really believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit does give you kind of a, a gut sort of feeling yeah, or instinct. Yeah. But, you know, what do you do when you actually ask a straightforward question and you're lied to? I don't expect people to lie to me. So yeah. um, I just had to accept that. And so it was devastating. All I could think of was I need to run away from here. I need yeah. to get away. I can't do this. You know, I still had a lot of money. I was only, you know, new in the relationship. And I just thought I can still disappear and go on with my life. So what stopped you? I was actually on the phone to Air New Zealand booking a flight and Dave came out and he just said, I need help. He said, you know, can we go for Christian counselling? You know, for three years before we got married, I prayed all the time that he would just get to know the Lord and really know who he was in the eyes of Christ and just get to experience that love and that freedom that is mm -hmm. very different to anything else. So when he said Christian counselling, I, I said, yeah, Okay, so we went up and we saw a pastor and that day I let Dave do the talking and he just said to the pastor, I've done something terrible to damage my marriage and, you know, it was no surprise what it was to this man. And But anyway, there and then Dave actually gave his life to the Lord and I had to sort of acknowledge, wow, God's answered my prayer, not in the way that I anticipated though. I would have scripted it very differently but I had to acknowledge that right then my darkest day may have become my lightest because I felt we were spiritually like, hey, so, um, you know, he's a born-again believer now. You know, we're both on the same page and it was going to be okay because this wouldn't happen in a Christian marriage. Yes. Unfortunately, the sanctification process is long and arduous. When you go back to that moment, David, do you feel that your sincerity of wanting to get professional help wanting to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus was all very genuine? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just surrendered. I was at the end of myself. But as you say, sanctification is a journey. It's not instant. Yeah. So then what took place then? Because obviously the story continues that even though you're living what would be perceived, as you said, Mnoni, you know, Christian marriages, it doesn't happen. But... Unfortunately, in your instance, it does. I think if we look back, that was like 1994. We had no access to the internet and we had general marriage counselling. Now, unfortunately, with the best intention of counsellors, and even to this day, there's so many misconceptions about affairs and infidelity and what it means in a marriage. And a very common mistake that is made in counselling is that the professional will say, well, you know, what was missing in the marriage? What was it? What needs weren't being met? And unfortunately, that actually places a heck of a lot of emphasis on the victim and the person that's been yeah. betrayed. It's like, well, why weren't you good enough? Why didn't you meet all of his needs? And that becomes a real attack on your confidence as well, because 
there's so many stories that are attached to why someone would do this. I mean, as a betrayed person, we have no say in the choices that our partners make. Yeah. We tend to sort of carry this weight and this burden of what was it about me? Why didn't I measure up? Why wasn't I good enough? Which is, as we know now, with what we know now, is not the case at all. That's Noni and David Yates, our guest today with myself, Brett Ryan, for Focus on the Family, Australia. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. We should acknowledge that infidelity happens both ways. It's just not men. In fact, a lot of the statistics are actually saying a number of women do the same thing. So we're being very broad when we're talking about, we're talking about your story. And this is what we're trying to communicate, that it can happen to anyone, both in good marriages, bad marriages and Christian marriages. The fact that it happens is not because you weren't fulfilling his needs, is that you, David, were looking for something else. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the first reaction is to look at the circumstances and try and give reasons or excuses, and none of those are really valid, and none of those really get to the why. So, yeah, for me, what I know now, you know, I developed a whole lot of coping mechanisms, lies and habits over decades, and they were pretty subtle. So there wasn't a single turning point or event in my background set me on this course at all. It's just a series of decisions, putting you in a place, and it starts with thinking about what if, what if. But the need that I've only come to realise in the last couple of years was I didn't have a great sense of self-worth. I didn't have mm-hmm. a stable foundation of who I was, what I was worth, and what my identity was, or where my identity lied. I'd been successful at gaining self-worth from pleasing others, performing in a particular way, being clever, funny, successful, or whatever. And that's where it lied. That's where I got my meaning of myself. Yeah. Because deep down, I didn't feel real good about myself. I had to strive. I felt like I had to work to deserve things. None of that comes from my family of origin, interestingly. It really didn't. I was affirmed lots. But even in that, that can give you a sense that, well, you get recognised for doing good things, being good or achieving things. That in itself can become a burden if we hang on to it the wrong way. There'll be some listening to this and saying, well, identity, you know, your self-worth, it doesn't really explain or justify your betrayal to Noni. It doesn't excuse it at all, no. No, oh, I made choices. And they were really selfish choices. Choices that made me feel good in that moment. I figured I could get away with without consequence. But there are consequences for every choice. There's that ripple effect. So when you hear this, Noni, him and his way of justifying it, how do you feel about that? And how does it make you feel when you're going, well, it's not me, it's really him but yet I'm the victim in all this. I'm the one who has to endure the, the betrayal, the mistrust, the hurt, the anguish. What do you say? 
Well, when I discovered Dave's first affair, you know, for 25 years, I didn't know what was going on. So the earliest days, you know, six months into our marriage, I remember having a really distinct feeling, as painful as it was, and as, you know, like you've got all this other dialogue going on, but really deep down, I just felt like his actions said more about him and where he was at than what it did about me. Yeah. I guess, and that was really solidified just with who I knew I was in Christ. You know, we were meant to complement each other. You know, he didn't complete me. Christ completed me. I knew who I was. I knew he was confused and doing some really dumb stuff. I also saw in him a lot of pain in the early days. And I also saw a heart that did have full intention of changing. But yeah, it didn't happen. I only discovered the extent of that a couple of years ago. So two leading questions is that you've discovered that this has gone on for years so there'll be some saying, well, why didn't you just leave him? Why put up with it? I did in August 2018. It had nothing to do with affairs, but I did. I separated from Dave and I'd said, enough. I'm walking away from what was covertly abusive behaviour. So when I did finally find out about the affairs and about the depth of Dave's deception and I saw a completely broken man, it actually, as painful as it was, for me, it explained a lot of the duality. It explained a lot of the behaviours because no one can live with that depth of deception and secrecy and be a free person. Yeah. There was so much war raging inside, Mm. but all it came out for us as wife and kids, it came out as narcissistic, abusive, Jekyll and Hyde, duality, a roller coaster ride of emotions. There'll be some listening to here and that's their story. They can hear... Noni, and we can't go into great detail about everything, but that narcissistic tendencies. But there's the good times, and then there's these severe bad times, emotional abuse, sarcasm, and a lot of people would say, well, it's not that bad, but it's relentless, it's ongoing, and your own self-worth, your self-esteem is at an all-time low. You start questioning yourself. There's terms called gaslighting, where you start thinking am I going crazy? You start doubting yourself and it becomes very confusing. So when you hear this, David, that you were causing your wife so much pain, not only were you having the extramarital affairs or emotional affairs with other women, you were an abuser. What goes through your mind there? Did you think you were an abuser? Not a chance. In fact, Nanny gave me a book to read several years ago by Lundy Bancroft. Oh, it's called Why Does He Do That? Inside the Minds of Angry and Controlling Men. Yeah, I I knew I had anger issues and I also knew I had a desire to control things, not out of manipulation, just out of trying to make my world comfortable because I didn't like the uncertainty. It came back to that insecurity. So, yeah, I was really confronted by that. I had a lot of trouble reading that book and yet I keep rationalising, well, I'm not as bad as that. That's a bit extreme, isn't it? Well, yeah, I can see the similarity there and it wasn't until I read it the second time and it wasn't yeah. until I'd actually heard not just the words but the feelings and pain that Nani had been through that I realised, that I said, yeah, okay, that is abuse. And, yeah, we had that discussion yeah. for a year, I think, before I went, yeah, okay, I've got to own that. That's it. Because I could always say there's not one moment in my life I set out to hurt my wife 
or my children or that I say yeah. manipulate them, to gaslight them, to get them to question their own existence or, or sanity. There's no way I ever intended that. But I look yeah. at my actions and what they did, and that's exactly what I was doing. It all came down for me. I could rationalise what I was doing. I was looking just from my perspective. Can't you see things my way? You're looking at this differently. It's not as bad as you think. Yeah, so you downplay those things. But you're also dealing with depression, anxiety, and probably to a level of not being in your right mind mentally. And you actually were diagnosed with bipolar during this journey as well. And that, again, doesn't justify your behaviours. But you were dealing with these concurrently. We just kept pursuing answers to why did I keep going into these cycles of really destructive behaviour. And I'd hate myself afterwards. I could see the damage. So we're just looking for answers. But all during this time, Brett, I never told any counsellor, psychologist, anybody that I'd continued down the path of betrayal and adultery later on. I wasn't open about dealing with the roots of my needs. Noni, you mentioned that you made the decision to separate. I just got to the point where... I really recognised that Dave didn't have my back. I was tired of going around the roundabout or the mountain of addressing behavioural stuff. And I will just say right now that the behaviours like the gaslighting, the covert narcissism, the emotional abuse, that is far more difficult to get over than any of the affairs. Really? 100%. And that was what I was walking away from because I didn't know about all of the things that came out later. All I knew was that as much as I loved Dave, I was no longer going to tolerate any of this Jekyll and Hyde behaviour. Whether he had a mental health diagnosis or not, it was abusive and I didn't deserve any of it. So the separation was definite. I was um, down the path of lawyers and I didn't know how it was going to look because I'd been primarily a homemaker, even though I'd worked. I'd given up my you know, full-on career and a businesswoman hat to actually raise and nurture a family, which I'm so thankful that I could do. But at the same time, after 25 years of marriage, when you've primarily been a homemaker, then you step away and you actually don't have a great deal of financial kind of backing behind you. But I just knew that I couldn't stay in the situation that I was in. I just said, God, I, I need to move on. So... I think that that took Dave quite by surprise, which is surprising to me because, you know, we'd had many years of conversations and done the programs and done the counselling and just did everything. And I thought, there's nothing else we can do here. So I had to draw that line in the sand. And in that time, Dave had to really face that I was very serious and it wasn't just going to be, it'll be all right, you know, we've kind of done hard stuff before, it'll be okay. I was done. Yeah. So you'd checked out. I 100% checked out. David, so what do you do with this information that your wife is going to divorce you and you see your family disintegrating before your very eyes because of your choices, because of your actions? I was in absolute despair. I could see the pain in Noni and I was torn between wanting to preserve the life that I had, the family I had, still desperate to do that, then acknowledging how bad things had gotten and how far off I'd been. 
I still wasn't considering the, the infidelity aspect of my life at that stage. That wasn't even on my radar. Definitely my anger and my inconsistency I was aware of. And I started to look at ways to examine that really strongly with the hope of being better because I could see the damage and I was still hoping somehow to retrieve the situation. But I also bounced between that and then faced with the reality that, as Nani said then, she checked out made a decision of getting indignant and angry. So I was bouncing backwards and forwards like an emotional pinball during that time. Yeah, It was really, very really difficult for me, but also it manifested in sort of the best and the worst of my behaviours towards Noni. So what did you do to start wooing her back or becoming the best version of yourself? I started to accept that this was all on me, that the decisions Noni made to end our relationship was justified and that I'd played a large part in this. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was thinking, oh, I was willing to do whatever it takes to make this right or get this back. Yet, I think I was just taking responsibility for where we got to. What support did you get? Not a lot at that stage, and that's why there was a lot of inconsistencies and false starts in reconciliation. My intent was there, but really I didn't have a roadmap at that stage. Today's guests were Noni and David Yates, authors of Beyond Betrayal, 28 Years, Lies, Deceit, Infidelity. Their website is beyondbetrayalrecoverybook.com. For more information on a fair recovery, go to our website at families.org.au. If something that we share today has caused you concern, we would encourage you to speak to someone. We highly recommend the Christian Counselors Association of Australia. Their website is ccaa.net.au. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Brett Ryan. On behalf of the team here at Focus, we look forward to you tuning in for part two of this conversation for Focus on the Family Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.